Did you know that except for running, fishing is the most popular outdoor activity in the United States? In fact, more people fish than play golf and tennis combined. And on this Discover the Word podcast, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder are going to talk about fishing. You'll discover which group members like to fish, which group member really doesn't like fishing all that much, and we'll explore together a great way the scriptures use fishing as a way of talking about something else. Fishing Tips is the name of this episode, so pull your chair up to the table and be part of the group as we discover the word next. Welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And over the course of the next hour, we're going to have some conversations about one of the most famous fishermen in the Bible, Jesus' disciple Peter. And he was interested in fishing in a couple of different ways. Before he met Jesus, he made his living as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. And so I'm sure he had some ways of catching fish that he could give us some tips on. But as we're going to see today, Jesus altered Peter's life when he told him, from now on, you're going to fish for men. And so we're going to get some tips from Peter's writings that reflect that kind of fishing, fishing for people. Looking forward to what I think is going to be a great time at the table with Mart and Elisa and Bill talking about fishing tips. Now it's Elisa's turn to lead, and so let's listen as she turns to Mart and Bill and begins with the obvious question. You guys like to fish. I like to fish. I thought you did, Mart. D. Bill. I do have one fishing story, and it may contribute to why I don't like to fish. Uh-oh. But it kind of left a bad yeah. fishing taste in my oh. mouth. <laughs> and Mart, you really are kind of serious about fishing, aren't you? I love to get on a lake. I can be on a lake for five hours and feel like I've been on vacation. Really? You know, it just like, clears my head. It just, oh, wow. mm-hmm. and I don't have to be catching fish. Mm-hmm. I like to fly fish, mm-hmm. you know, in calm weather because you're moving all the time, something's happening, there's always this sense of anticipation. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I would never really grew up fishing. I'm from Houston, Texas, but my father had a business venture that would take him often to Saratoga, Wyoming, which is a fly fishing capital. It's just fantastic. And I remember the first time I got on this little riverboat with him. I mean, a tiny little boat with oars. Okay, it wasn't anything big. And I plunked my little hook with its fly, I don't know what you call this stuff, in the water. And out came this beautiful rainbow trout. And Hmm. I was hooked. (laughs) (laughs) But the next time I went, the next year I caught nothing. So I think fishing fishing. is is very unpredictable, isn't it? That's the nature of it. Is it? It's really confusing to me. Well, there are a lot of fishing stories and fish stories in the Bible. What's a really big one we think about often as a fish story? obviously. Jonah. Well, I want us to focus in on another fish story in the next couple of days. And we're going to put ourselves into it today and then carry it along with us as a kind of an echo or a backdrop as we consider spiritual fishing. And that's a kind of a stretch of a metaphor, but we want to look at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And let's just start off by reading that, and let's orient ourselves into the details of this fish story. What do we know about it? Kind of, again, as a backdrop. So can we divide that up? And Mart, maybe start us off, All right. then Bill. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, 
for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they'd caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Fishing for people. What an odd phrase that must have been Hmm. to Simon. And yet, maybe not. I think we traditionally look at this passage as a passage about evangelism, heavy word, or a passage about Peter being equipped to become a person who carries people to Christ. That seems a little bit softer. You have to understand the heart behind it, right? Okay, go for that. What do you mean, Mark? I think even today, there's so much thought of what it means to proselytize or Uh to get Mm -hmm. people to build Mm -hmm. up our numbers. Mm -hmm. It's such a big catch of fish that it can't even fit in the boat. Very self-centered. And a lot of Um, people even simply equate that to money. Mm-hmm. Why do they want us? Oh, they want to build a big building, you know? Or sometimes it's because of a desire for conquest. You know, when I was young in the faith, I mean, there was a real full court press on about evangelism. And it was almost to the point where, well, yeah, I want three people this week. Well, yeah, I want four people. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like cutting notches on your Bible yeah. for each one that you yeah. get. You and know? people that at the other end of this may feel like the market. That's right. You know? Yeah, they're just the target. We're target. We're things to be taken. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really insightful that you're both bringing that up because we can read this passage and hear all of the fish going to the boat so much that they can't even get them all in and think that's the point. And while that is interesting, revealing Jesus' power over even fish— I don't think that's the main point. This story is happening uh, when Simon Peter and Andrew are fishermen. They've been connected with Jesus, but they're still fishing for a living, providing for their families by fishing. They hadn't yet entered into full-time ministry. And Jesus comes and he wants to use Simon's boat to speak to the crowds, but I think also to speak to Peter. So he gets into the boat and he preaches what? The Word of God, which is a beautiful statement to hear the Word of God preaching the Word of God. I love that. We don't know exactly what he's saying, but we know that he is speaking to the crowd about what we call the gospel, the good news of how they can have a relationship with God. In behalf of his Father. Mm -hmm. In behalf of his Father. Here's the living Word of God speaking. But we also know that he is challenging Peter. And so how does Peter respond? You know, Jesus says, let's go out and go fishing. And Peter's like, well, the best time for fishing's over. But because of Jesus' authority, Peter obeys. Mm. And he goes out. And I just want to tease apart as we start into our conversations this week, what are our responsibilities in this calling to share the good news of Jesus Christ Mm. with our world? And what's God's 
responsibility in this process. And you just talked about it beautifully, that we can get all mixed up and think it's about money or think it's about numbers or think it's about... But what is our responsibility and what is God's responsibility? I think it's easy to forget that it's, first of all, about our heart. Mm -hmm. Why in the world would we do this? And for whose sake? Yeah, I go back to my early days as a follower of Christ. I mean, we had it hammered into us. You know, you memorize these verses and you walk people through it and you get them to pray and, you know, you do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was all about this transactional thing without any sense of a life that says, you know, there's more. And that's where Peter got stuck. I mean, he was like, oh, get away from me. I'm too sinful. And Jesus is going, but that's the point. And when you're connected with me, that's... That's interesting. Yeah. His own reaction to Jesus, he misunderstood, yeah. didn't he? He felt very uncomfortable in Jesus' presence. Or maybe he actually understood what he needed to <laughs> yeah. understand. He had fished all night and caught nothing. He was working on his own knowledge base, on his own experience, yeah. on his own skill, in his own energy, and he catches nothing. Mm-hmm. Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, things work. Why? Because he's no longer dependent on himself. Now, right. there's Jesus. There's an element of just obedience, of agreement, that mm-hmm. this is something I get to participate with mm-hmm. Jesus in. It's my mm-hmm. job to go fishing. That's all it is, my job to go fishing. There's this pastor in California. His name is Michael Kokoris. And he talked about our responsibility in sharing our faith. And he says this. I'm just going to quote him because it got me several years ago, and it still has me. He says, you just go do it. And you do it. And you do it some more. You do it in the winter and in the summer and in the spring and in the fall. You do it in the morning and in the evening. You do it when the sun is shining, when the clouds give an overcast to the day. You do it when you're full of energy. You do it when you feel like it. And you do it when you don't feel like it. And you just do it. He's talking about because we are in relationship with God who loves us so, we're going to go fishing. We're going to be his light in our world, whichever metaphor you want to use. And we trust that even though we feel sinful, like Peter did, and Mm -hmm. we feel inadequate, that there is a way in which when we fish for people, something happens in us and in them. But it comes back to this. If it's not done with a heart, if it's not done simply out of a caring concern for people Mm -hmm. and their needs, we still put an ugly face on God. Absolutely, we do. And so it's not like we do it with a grimace. It's that we do it in our heart connected to his, trusting that here's the other part. It's our job to go fishing, and the other part is it's God's Mm. responsibility to get the fish to bite. It's not ours. That's really what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Do you have that, Bill? Sure. We'll just end with this thought. Yeah. Paul is writing, and he says, What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. A different metaphor, an agricultural metaphor instead of a fishing metaphor. But as we look at this story of Peter in a boat, Peter feeling too sinful to be used by Jesus, swarms of people eventually going to be called forward to consider our relationship with God through Peter's work, I think maybe... Jesus is setting down some ground rules. Hey, Peter, it's not about you. Please just join me. Get in the boat. Let's put it out. It's up to you to go fishing. Stay in relationship with me. It's up to me to get the people's hearts to turn towards me. Yeah, it's our responsibility to get in the boat and go fishing. It's God's job to get the fish to bite. 
That's a helpful perspective that we want you to carry with you through this entire episode as we talk about this fascinating image of fishing in the New Testament. And so now let's get to the first of the fishing tips that Jesus' fisherman disciple Peter gives in his writings. And this first one is a little surprising and a little odd at first, at least until you grasp what Peter was getting at. Fishing tip number one, be strange. Define the word alien. You know, what comes to your mind when I say that word? Alien. Someone not like us. That's a good way to put it. Speaks a different language. Comes from a different place. Different culture. Different ways. Okay. One of the weird things about traveling internationally is that you're the alien. Yeah. You're in a place where everything is alien to you, but you're the one who's out of place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We Americans (laughs) can be quite entitled to thinking we are the center of the universe when, in fact, every one of us is an alien when we take us out of our familiar place. And that's probably human nature. It's probably not Uh only true of us, but everybody. And it doesn't matter whether it's crossing an ocean or crossing to a different region of the country or whether it's just crossing the street to talk to a neighbor who just moved in from Mm -hmm. a different part of the country. I mean, no matter what it is, it's the differences that create the alien. And the unknowns. Yeah. A lot of it's the unknown. Okay, let's bring that forward into New Testament times. We're talking about a fish story from Luke chapter 5. Peter started out as a fisherman, right? Mm -hmm. And in Luke chapter 5, Jesus interacts with him and teaches him how to fish and says, I'm going to change your role. Instead of fishing for fish, we're going to all be fishing for people, which is a little bit weird to think about. But really, he's using that very common metaphor to help Peter understand that he'll be called forward to share the good news of how we can have a relationship with God. And we talked about yesterday, there are a couple of responsibilities in fishing. It's our job to get in the boat and go fishing, to be involved in sharing God's heart with other people around us. But it's really God's responsibility for people to come to know him. That's not our job. Mm. There's a part of me that wants you to just kind of stay right there, don't go any further, because I think it's Mm -hmm. so easy to miss that part of it, Mm -hmm. to realize that if we don't have some sense of God's heart, we don't have any business doing this. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're not ready for the business. Unless we have some sense of how much God cares for and people. And staying connected And how to much that we need core. Him and how it's mm-hmm. for their good. It's mm-hmm. for our good. Because if we're not doing it for their good, that's going to come through. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're going to read that like a book and react against it, which is exactly the opposite of what we're trying to accomplish. And we could stay in Luke chapter 5. There's plenty there for us to mine and figure out and learn together about this process of sharing our faith with the heart of Jesus. But as I was reading about Peter, I started thinking about, here's the beginning of his relationship with Jesus and his public ministry, if you will. What about the end? And I started thinking about the letters that he wrote to the New Testament churches that were scattered across Asia Minor more near the end of his life. So how did it turn out, right? Yeah, how did it turn out? How did this moment with Jesus in Luke 5 Look, later in Peter's life, after he had failed Christ and had denied him in the courtyard, after he had been restored on a beach when Jesus had already been raised from the dead, I started looking in First and Second Peter, these letters, these epistles that he wrote, and I found some interesting principles. So today I want to look at this concept of how Peter talks about followers of Christ being 
aliens from First Peter. You're saying how the followers of Christ Mm -hmm. became aliens. And how we need to be aliens in order to somehow attract other people to the Jesus that we know. Doesn't sound like a good plan. It doesn't sound like a good plan. It doesn't sound like something we'd be comfortable with at all. And yet Peter challenges us to be aliens. Let's look at 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2, and read that together. Bill, do you have that? Sure. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Okay, now, Mart, do you have verses 3 to 5? Let's just read a little bit further now. Okay, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we've been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. All right, that's a lot in there, Mm -hmm. and we could get super bogged down into it. Elisa, can I ask you something? Of course, yeah. I get in the beginning that Peter was a fisherman. He was told by his Lord that he's going to learn how to fish for people. Mm -hmm. But now we're reading from one of his letters later in his life, and it just seems like there's a lot of ideas going on here. What does this have to do with what he learned the transitions over to his relationships with people. Isn't that something? You know, for me, Mart, and I so appreciate the question, I tend to kind of categorize Peter or segment him. Here's Peter in the Gospels. Oh, and here's Peter at the end of his life, the leader of the church kind of thing, or in Acts or wherever. And the reality is it's the same guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> this man who was a fisherman. And Jesus got in the boat and rearranged his thinking. You're not going to be fishing for fish anymore. You're going to be fishing for people. When I lay that over how I read First and Second Peter and Peter's stories and Acts, it changes everything. And I realize this man had a heart of a fisherman always, always. He cares in his epistles about helping the dispersed Christian church survive, but he also cares about helping that dispersed Christian church share their faith in Christ. This is still a heart of a man who wants others to know the Jesus he came to know. To bring them in. To catch them. (laughs) To bring them into the net so that they too can have this relationship. For their good. For their good. Yeah. Flip down to one more verse and we'll stop here today. 1 Peter 1, 17. You want me to read it? Sure. Okay. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Foreigners. Another word for that would be? Aliens. Aliens. Here's Peter who cares about those who are following Christ, staying true and knowing that he hold them through the persecution. But here's Peter too, knowing that there are so many other people who don't yet know Christ that he longs to bring towards them. And he says, live out as foreigners, live out as aliens. And there's some verses in here where he says, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. And what do we know about being a citizen of Rome? What kind of protection might that have provided? Well, there were certain things that could not happen to you. For instance, a Roman citizen was never executed by crucifixion because that was for the barbarians, the non-Romans. So there was very much a us versus them mentality. Roman citizens had privileges that 
the conquered peoples of the empire did not have. And most of all, Roman citizens had this prestige of being part of the great empire. They were protected. And even in persecution, they were protected. And we're going to see that in Paul's life. We've read that Mm -hmm. and talked about that a lot in the book of Acts. But here Peter is really contrasting, you sweet, precious followers of Christ who are part of the body of Jesus, you may not have the Roman protection, but you have an alien protection because you're citizens of what? The kingdom of God. The kingdom Mm -hmm. of God. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you've endured some moments when those who are outside the faith didn't quite know Jesus yet were attracted to some kind of a hope they saw in you in a time of devastation. Think about 9-11. Think about times of earthquakes or times of global challenge Mm -hmm. and devastation. And there is something that's odd when you don't have a citizenship here on the planet and our hope lies beyond us. There's something actually kind of attractive about that. It requires a lot of translation because the words you're using that we just read, mm-hmm. they're foreign words. I mean, they're very difficult to understand. But something at the heart of all of this is that we've got to have our roots in something better than what we can see with our own eyes, right? And I think that's what Peter's reminding these believers of that you live here, a fishing tip for you, a way to share your faith is to be clearly an alien here. You're not a citizen of Rome and have that kind of earthly protection. You have a heavenly protection, an identity, an inheritance that's based in a kingdom beyond here. And as you live that way, there's something so attractive about that to those who are watching. It's like they were attracted to our otherness, our alienness. There is this sense of hope that somehow we provided that nobody understood, but they wanted. I think that's what Peter is saying to those dispersed Christians in Asia Minor is be alien and understand that there is something attractive about that in an unpredictable world, that we have an identity that's beyond this place that actually speaks of a hope that others want and they see in us a hope that comes through a relationship with Christ. Fishing tip number one, be strange. And it may seem kind of odd that this would be the first fishing tip from Peter. You know, be strange, be different, be alien. But uh, when we're different in the right kind of loving and caring way, Well, that's what causes people to take notice of him. And that's the kind of odd or different or alien that Peter's talking about. You're at the table with your friends, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder. Fishing Tips is the name of this study, building on the experience of Peter and his living out when Jesus told him that he would be fishing for people. Another fishing tip after this quick time out. Now, while we're talking about Peter the fisherman this week, I think you'll enjoy watching a recent documentary from Our Daily Bread Ministries called In Pursuit of Peter. In this six-part series, you'll travel to Jerusalem and Rome and other locations that Peter lived and traveled to explore how in his time with Jesus, the Apostle Peter's outlook was transformed by Jesus' invitation to fish for people. It's a fascinating journey. And so look for a link to watch the In Pursuit of Peter video documentary on YouTube when you visit discovertheword.org. We have a link there. Again, it's called In Pursuit of Peter. 
And now back to Fishing Tips on the Discover the Word podcast and Fishing Tip number two, show and tell. What do you think is most important or more important as we share our faith with other people? Is it to show our faith out in our actions or maybe is it to tell our faith and have a good explanation for what we believe? It kind of all depends, doesn't it? On the kind of person, on the situation. Seems like the time. There's a time for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that probably the correct answer, you know, if you're sitting there taking a class on Evangelism <laughs> 101 and this is the test, the correct answer is both. Mm-hmm. But I think even though there must be a time when you say some things, if those don't have a platform of a life lived by faith to build on, then it's going to have a mm-hmm. hollow ring to it. Even if it's only a first meeting, mm-hmm. we have to be showing something mm-hmm. of our respect for the other person yeah. and our consideration for yeah. them. To be listening yeah. to their world and their context, not just forcing ours just, yeah. upon them. Yeah, who was the early church father who said, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary? Yes, yeah, that kind I believe of that was St. Francis. And I agree. As you look at how the pendulum of culture has swung over various centuries, there are times when head knowledge, facts, information is very important in cultures. There are other times when that's become skewed and the integrity of actions played out. Are we different because of our faith Mm -hmm. is more important. Honestly, today we live in a world when we've made a lot of mistakes as followers of Christ. Right. If in an area that has never heard the name of Christ... If that's where we are, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think both of you are making really good points. And when I try to knit those things together, what it comes to me is that, again, the Ecclesiastes 3, to everything there's a time and a purpose under heaven. And we just need to trust him for the wisdom to know how to respond in the moment we're given in the best way, whether it's a show time or a tell time. I love that. And honestly, too, if we live longer than five years, you know, we're going to swing as well in our mm-hmm. own lifetimes, in our own context, mm-hmm. where God leads us, what parts of the world we're living in, what kinds of people we're walking with. Because people aren't just static. We change and our world changes and our mm-hmm. culture changes and the needs change. I tend to go to scripture and isolate and categorize and put people in compartments. And I forget that even the people in scripture lived whole lifetimes. They too changed and evolved. This week we're looking at the apostle Peter, Peter the disciple, Mm -hmm. uh, Simon Peter, who met Jesus and ended up being rearranged in his thinking from being a fisherman who fished for fish to, as Jesus said, fished for people. And we find, Peter, just quickly in the Gospels, what kinds of stories pop into mind about who he was and how he interacted with Jesus? He was quick to speak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was. Yeah, he was kind of the opposite of James 1, slow to speak. Yeah, even God spoke out of heaven when Peter spoke. (laughs) Yikes. (laughs) Listen to Jesus. (laughs) Listen. And the transfiguration when he went to the mountaintop. Yes. Yeah, I think when we see Peter, maybe one of the most telling things is Peter pre-Holy Spirit and post-Holy Spirit. I mean, he's still the same guy and he still has Mm -hmm. the same history and the same life that he's lived, same mistakes. But you see this guy who's different Mm -hmm. after Acts chapter 2 than he was during the Gospels. 
That's so insightful. And I think that's where I want us to land. You know, Peter was a fisher person. He was just a very simple guy, impetuous, kind of hot-headed at times. And so when we meet him in Luke chapter 5 and Jesus rearranges his thinking, he's a very different person than he is in his epistles to the New Testament church some 30, 40 years later. In First and Second Peter, Peter, who has been told to feed his sheep after Jesus died and then rose before he ascended into heaven, is doing just that. He's feeding the sheep, these people who were scattered. Where were they? What was going on when Peter writes in First and Second Peter? Well, the people were under persecution. They were declaring that Jesus is Lord in a world having a hard time accepting that. Yeah, they were doing that in a world where Caesar was Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this was almost treasonous activity. And because of the fact that they had also ruffled the feathers of the religious establishment in Jerusalem, the early church had been kind of driven out. That's why they're dispersed. And the ones that Peter's writing to in his letters are people who have fled to what we would call today Turkey to escape persecution there, only to fall into persecution in a Roman context. But once a fisherman, always a fisherman. Peter clearly cares about the New Testament church and wants to provide for them what they need as they go through persecution. But he also has a heart for those who don't yet know God, to come to know God the way he does. So we looked at some fishing tips, if you will, of being different from the world, being strangers in the world. He uses the term aliens of the world instead of being citizens of Rome, being different, citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And today we see that he's really calling also the New Testament church to both show and tell their faith, not one or the other. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, 11, and see where he's talking about this showing element. Do you have that, Bill? Yeah. 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that... Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So there's something there to how our actions, how their actions set them apart Mm -hmm. as different as belonging to God. It really kind of echoes Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount of being salt and light. Mm -hmm. Let them see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See the good works, not to point out how great we are or how religious we are or whatever, but so that it will deflect their attention from us to the God we want them to know. That's right, standing out. And then there's a very famous phrase in 1 Peter 3, 1-2 about wives, but listen to this whole wording about how we behave. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. We get real stuck there on what does that mean, but bottom line, women didn't have an equal status to men in the culture, and even slaves didn't either. And eventually that's going to be resolved and restored. But Peter's point is that in your culture— Let your actions demonstrate Mm -hmm. your faith in Christ. So there's a true, strong, show your faith. That's what Peter's saying. Show your faith in your actions, in the way you behave, in this crazy and really horrible culture in which you're living. But he also then instructs us to tell our faith. So, Mart, could you read 1 Peter 3, 13 to 15? Yeah. Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right... 
God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and a respectful way. Always be prepared. Actually, some translations say to give an apology. That word apologia, it's used in a formal answer before a magistrate, a written defense. And yet, Elisa, that sounds so formal. Mm. Isn't there something warmer? I mean, again, we know that Peter once gathered fish for his own good, his own livelihood. And now, as you've indicated, he's been taught to gather people Mm -hmm. together for their good, for their life, not just for his livelihood anymore. And yet, when you talk about giving a defense, it sounds so formal. It does, not it sounds kind of scary, like you have to go to seminary or you know, Bible college. Yeah. And I think there is an element of having a formal defense, but that's not the only way to tell. We can tell from our experience. I can share that my husband went through cancer, and he discovered God's faithfulness to him in that experience. And yes, God used his written word also to encourage Evan. But Evan can speak of his testimony. That's why we use mm-hmm. that word, testimony. Peter's point here is that both showing and telling matter as we share the hope that we have with others. Um, You know, he is a fisherman starting and he is a fisherman ending. But for different purposes. But for different purposes. So he wasn't a highly trained, fancy guy either. He's really speaking about his daily life, Mm -hmm. expressing his hope. And when it comes to the show and tell thing, it seems like what he's telling us is, if we can somehow learn how to live in the hope of what we've been given in Christ, we'll get some opportunities to tell yeah. where that came from. And not just for our own sake, but for the sake of those who are ready to hear. Fishing tip number two, show and tell. Now next, fishing tip number three, use the right bait. We've been talking about fishing. Mart, you love to fish. Do you have a certain kind of bait that you prefer? I prefer artificial bait because I fly fish. Uh Uh-huh. Is there a kind of fly that's your favorite? There's one little orange spider that is dynamite. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm glad you mentioned the word dynamite because if I were to fish, that's the bait I would use. I would just light a stick and throw it in the water and see what surface. You'd have a couple of pieces. Shredded fish is what you would get. Well, it likes to keep moving, don't you? You're just (laughs) sitting in a boat waiting for something to happen. Just doesn't Fly fishing, too, it really depends upon the weather and the season. It's huge. Uh In our area, the wind comes out of the east, you might as well just stay off the lake for any kind of fishing, really. Okay. Okay. You lost me at weather. I did. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll pick you back up. I think you know about one of the most famous fishermen in Scripture, Peter, hmm. began his life as a fisher of fish. We looked at him in Luke chapter 5 and Jesus' interaction with him, which really rearranged his thinking about what it was he was fishing for. Jesus said, you've been fishing for fish, but from now on, you're going to fish for people interesting concept. And we think about Peter a lot as this impetuous kind of rough guy. Near the end of his life, some 30, 40, maybe 50 years later, after that incident on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, Peter is writing instructions and encouragement to New Testament Christians. What's going on in those books and what are his purposes? Well, one thing is his idea of fishing completely changes. I mean, the word picture goes through a great conversion. Mm -hmm. It starts off where he's a fisherman of fish, and he's catching those fish for his own purposes. But when Jesus calls him to be fishing for people, he's now fishing 
for a higher purpose and for the benefit of the people, not for his own benefit. Yeah, he's gathering them together around Christ. Yeah. For their good. For their good, not yeah. to make money off of them or a livelihood right. off yeah. of them. And so, you know, if you were going to ask Peter in Luke chapter 5, what are your fishing tips? What are the best fishing tips you could give us? You'd get a very different response than if you asked mm-hmm. Peter in the days of writing First and Second Peter Absolutely. What are your best fishing Forget about tips? the nets, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. We've looked at a couple of principles this week. We talked about First Peter talks about being strangers, being aliens is a weird mm-hmm. word, or foreigners. Mm-hmm. That's a way that you're going to attract others to the hope of the gospel. What did he mean by that? It didn't mean what it sounds like, for yeah. one thing. Right. It didn't mean to be weird. Mm-hmm. It didn't mean to just be a strange person. What it did mean is that as Christ lives out his life in you, your life should be distinctive. Yeah. It should show people something different. If it's going to be weird, it should be as weird as Jesus' love was. That's awesome, Mart. Among yeah. his enemies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, There's an integrity, a consistency with yeah. the character of Christ that we who follow him need to possess yeah. as If you're well. going to be strange, be as patiently and mercifully strange as Jesus was. That's good. Yeah. And then a second principle we looked at is the principle of show and mm-hmm. tell. I mean, it's neat to see how Peter looks at yeah. fishing differently. What did we cover there? Well, we talked about the fact that our lives need to provide a foundation for our words. Without that, there's no credibility. That's right. There has to be something that gives basis to why people would believe what we're saying. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with our being successful economically or professionally or any other way. It has yeah. to do with whether we're showing the kind of care that Jesus showed for the people of his day. And then also being able to say, by the way, the reason I look different is because of Jesus in me. So yeah. there's that show and tell going together. And knowing when to say that and when not to say yeah. it, yeah. right? Good point. Yeah. There's a time for everything. So today we want to shift a little bit and talk about bait. Peter's understanding of what was necessary to attract fish was very different after he had followed Christ and he understood he was fishing for people rather than for fish. Instead of looking for maybe a manipulative or I'm going to catch them at the right time of day or those kinds of physical characteristics, Peter used a very different kind of bait. Bill, would you get 1 Peter one twenty two? Sure. And Mart, 1 Peter 3.8. And then I'll pick up 1 Peter 4.8. Okay. Okay, 1 Peter 1.22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And now you want 1 Peter 3.8, right? Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. And then 1 Peter 4.8, so we're all the way through that first letter. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Hmm. And I'm thinking about other conversations we've had when we've talked about how love covers. You know, what is that word picture there, the covering of love? Well, when you think about covering in terms of Scripture, I mean, you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Mm -hmm. Where God lovingly covers Adam and Eve, whose nakedness has been exposed by their following the serpent instead of following God. And rather than just condemning them. Yeah. yeah. He covers them. God chooses to cover our sin. He really does. And when we sit underneath that covering, our lives are so different. Okay, go straight back to a beach at the end of the New Testament Gospels. And there is Peter struggling with his failures, with Jesus, his denial of Christ. How does Jesus cover Peter's own sin with his love? 
He doesn't camp on the failures, does he? He leads him forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives him hope of future usefulness in spite of his past failures. If you love me, feed my sheep. Yeah. If you love me, feed my sheep. If yeah. you love me, feed my sheep. He sort of makes an issue of that, doesn't he? He asks him a question, mm-hmm. Peter, do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you love me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gives him a chance to do something mm-hmm. positive to get past the rejection. Mm-hmm. But I think it's so interesting in those words in John 21, the direction of it has to be clear. Jesus doesn't say, do you love sheep? Mm. He says, do you love me? That's so good. Uh, sometimes sheep can be pretty unlovely <laughs> and unlovable. <laughs> yeah. And as human sheep, we can be pretty unlovely and unlovable. And what keeps us in the game, if you will, is not necessarily our ability to love well, even though we need to do that. But it's our love relationship with Christ that helps us live out that love. And I wonder if we could just gently turn that bill. It's so beautiful the way you said that, you know, Jesus is asking Peter to love others, but the whole motivation for Peter to be able to love others is to understand how much Jesus loves Peter. Yeah. That's more important than Peter's love for Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's more important. And the only reason Peter can love others is if he finally gets it, which Jesus says three times, gets it, that Jesus loves him in spite of his failures. Because Mm -hmm. love covers a multitude of sins. Mm. My sins, my failures. He had lived that out. And I mean, when you go back and reflect on the failure side of it, when the rooster crows and it says the Lord turned and looked at Peter after Peter had denied Jesus three times, it says Peter went out and wept bitterly. Mm. I mean, he was a broken man. Devastated. And if Jesus didn't love him, that would have been the end of Peter's story. The fact that in John 21, Jesus is having a conversation about Peter that has a future is the ultimate expression of how much Jesus loves him. Yeah. It's interesting there, too, is that that love is unspoken at that point. When he Mm -hmm. asked Peter, do you love me? He's not saying, Peter, I love you. He doesn't have to, does he? Peter had spent three years with him learning that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful reconciliation statement. When we read 1 and 2 Peter, these epistles that Peter writes to the New Testament church, we need to read them in light of the Gospels and of the book of Acts and who we see Peter to be there. This is a man who fished for fish to make his living. And Jesus came into his life and radically rearranged his thinking by loving him, by calling him forward, by setting him into a new course to fish for people, to be a part of a kingdom effort that was bigger than Peter ever would be. We see these beautiful new fishing tips because Peter has a radically different understanding of what it means to fish, offering the bait of love. And when I look at that, I think for all of us, we, like Peter, need to start with, do we let God love us? And then, as we let him love us, can we live out that love with others? That's a very different and super attractive mm-hmm. reality for our world. If someone says, mm-hmm. how do we let him love us? Mm-hmm. What would you say? Mm-hmm. I take myself back to that beach and I sit as Peter with Jesus and I hear him say, Elisa, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. He's asking me to be more of a conduit more of a a vessel that receives the love from him that he wants me to give to others. We don't have anything to give unless we first receive from him. You know, until we are living in his love, we don't have anything to offer anyone else. Mm -hmm. I mean, all we have is our own emptiness, and they've already got plenty of that. But emptiness is a good place to start. It's the place where you have to start. Yeah. 
And so when we receive the love that Jesus has for us and offer that to others, wow, what attraction, what hunger is brought forward. They too want what we have. It's that attractive. Who wouldn't want to be loved that way? Fishing tip number three, use the right bait. The love of Christ and the way we show it to others is, in the best sense, the most effective bait, not to trick or lure people in a deceitful way. Now, genuinely loving others is the best fishing tip Jesus and Peter could give us. Well, have you ever taken a young child fishing? Or maybe at some point you were that little kid in a boat. Uh, what was the biggest challenge in that situation? Yeah, probably all the waiting. You very good at that? Waiting? Well, whether it's fishing for fish or fishing for people, waiting is often part of the deal. And the next fishing tip helps with that. And the group will talk about it after Daniel Ryan Day gives us this preview of our next Discover the Word podcast. In the Bible, there are quite a few good things that come out of dark places, which is helpful because in our lives, we often end up in the dark as well. But God is a God who does his best work out of the darkness. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, let's look at the theme of darkness in the Bible and discover how God not only brought good things out of the darkness in the past, but can and will bring good things out of the shadowy places in our lives too. And now, our final fishing tip from Peter. Fishing tip number four. Give it time. There is a process to catching fish, and it usually involves casting that fly or your hook and your bobber or whatever, mm -hmm. and then reeling slowly and doing it again and again and again and waiting. Oh, you right? get it, don't you? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I'm not a fisherman nor the son of a fisherman, but... In talking with people who love to fish, many of them will tell you that the waiting is their favorite part. And I think that's what I've learned. I have learned to appreciate that pace of the waiting in fishing. There is something out of my hands, out of my control, and yet I need to be completely attentive, lest I miss it. Yeah, you got to be ready. As we've been looking at uh, fishermen in Scripture this week, we're looking at what he's learned about how to fish. And this is actually Peter. He not only learned about how to fish, he was completely rearranged by Jesus in terms of what the goal of his fishing was. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus calls him to mm -hmm. fish for people. Then late in his life, Peter writes two epistles to a group of dispersed New Testament early century Christians. And what's an epistle? Thank you. That's a fancy word for a letter. Okay. A letter. <laughs> so we see at the end of his life, how different Peter is after having followed Christ for all of his life. And he writes in these letters to New Testament Christians, and he reveals a whole different understanding of what he's fishing for and what we're to be fishing for and how we're to fish. What have we learned so far mm. about Peter's fishing tips for us as believers? Well, he says that since we're citizens of a different kingdom, we live out the heart of our king as a demonstration of a different kind of life yeah. that uh, only he can produce in us. Yeah, and if we don't start there, if we don't start with his love for his purpose, then we have no business 
even trying to go out and gather people. Mm -hmm. Very reorganizing yeah. in who we are. Because mm -hmm. we're not gathering them to us. Right. And we're not gathering them to an ideology. And not to our own profit. No, that's right. We're bringing them to the Creator. For we their sake. Them. That's right. We talk next about the principle of both showing and telling as mm -hmm. we fish. We need to demonstrate who Jesus is in us in our behavior. But we also need to be able to express in our words why he is who he is and what mm. we know about him personally. Mm -hmm. And then yesterday, we looked at changing how we attract fish, not from something that's manipulative, jump in the boat on this time of day, but instead to attract fish with what? The love. bait of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Peter's been completely rearranged as a fisher person. You know, he's a fisher person at the beginning, he's a fisher person at the end, but very different. Mm -hmm. And today... Looking at impetuous, probably impatient <laughs> Peter, we find one more fishing tip that might be very surprising. Yeah. How out of character does it seem for Peter, of all people, to be instructing us on the issue of patience? Patience. You know, <laughs> Peter has come to value God's pace in how people come to himself. And this last principle is that when we go fishing and partner with God to show his love for others, we need to give it time. I want us to look at several different scriptures here and see how important this is to Peter. The first one is actually in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 9. Do you have that, Bill? 2 Peter 3, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, what is he talking about there? That's crazy language in some ways. What are you hearing is crazy? The understanding of time is so different than our literal, I think, understanding of time. It's like God's beyond time, Yeah. which I can understand, but I can't. And I think that's the refreshing part to me because God's above all the things that we tend to fret and worry about. And so if God's capable of being patient, what that does is that sets us free from the tyranny of time okay. in trying to do X in why amount of time, because we have a God who is over all of that. And ultimately, as we saw early in the week, he's the one who has to, in terms of bringing people to himself, he's the one who ultimately accomplishes that and he'll do it in his time. Mm -hmm. And that's refreshing. He makes sense of what's impossible because he is patient, because he doesn't want anybody to perish, because that's the direction of his heart, mm -hmm. then I can trust the second hands tick, tick, ticking and the panic that's going on inside me. I can relinquish that. I think that's really refreshing and encouraging to me. He's beyond my limitations. You know, maybe one thing that helps too, Mart, and let's look at this together in Psalm 90, verses one through six is a pretty famous description of time. Could you read that? Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from beginning to end, you are God. You turned people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes but by evening it is dry and withered. Now that could sound a little mean and cantankerous and scary, but what do you think, I think Moses was supposedly wrote Psalm 90, what do you think is meant in that description? Well, again, the connection between Second Peter and Psalm 90 is the thousand years, because that appears in both of those right. things. And I think once again, it's just reminding us 
that all of the things that we fret over and worry about because we're confined to time, he's beyond that. And so we ought to rest in him instead of worrying in our schedules. It sounds like when we lose hope in everything else, we can still hope in him. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. well put, Mart. Back to Second Peter 3, 8. Do not forget this one thing. As I read that, what I learned is that it means hold on to this for dear life. We get lost thinking that God is capricious or that he's Mm -hmm. mean or he's out to get us. And Peter's reminding us, Peter, one who failed and was restored. Oh, beautifully. Peter, one who would suffer. Peter reminds us that God is not that kind of malicious God, that before time and beyond time, he is for us and he is for our good. His sense of timing is different. And we're going to forever be separated from being able to truly understand that. Yeah, there's great mystery here. Mm-hmm. You know, when you mm-hmm. say he cares for everybody, he doesn't want anybody to perish. We really can't figure out, you know, what does that mean mm-hmm. then? Mm-hmm. Because we all just live in these little, you know, a few years. That's yeah, right. These little breaths of life. Yeah. In Mark 13.32 is another verse that I think orients us. But about that day, meaning the day of the Lord, the end of everything, or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Talk about mystery. Yeah. But again, it speaks to his nature and helps us to see his heart in that context of the heart of the God who can be patient. Why do we struggle being patient? Because time's limited for us. Mm. How can he be so eternally patient? Because time's not an issue for him. And that helps us to see how his love operates because of who he is. At least if somebody says, but how do you avoid using that as a cop-out? So I really don't have to do anything. I'll just wait on God. What would you say? We've got to go back to those other principles of it's up to us to fish and it's up to God to get the fish to bite. God has invited us to participate in sharing our faith. He's invited us to participate in other people mm-hmm. coming to know him. So as we do so, we need to yield to his working and his time. And that's part of the mystery as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just as mysterious as the other things. I wonder if as we close this discussion... If we might read the last words here, this is from 2 Peter 3, 8 to 15, and listen for how different Peter is and how he's inviting us into this fishing process with God. Do you want to start us, Mart? But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear in a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and the speed of its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt into the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom God gave him. So let's go fishing in the style of Peter. Fishing tip number four give it time. And remember what that perspective was after the first conversation? 
It's our responsibility to fish. It's God's responsibility to get the fish to bite. And so, as Elisa said, let's go fishing. I hope that invitation is exciting to you. Because just as Jesus originally said that to Peter, it really is a call that he extends to us today. And fortunately, he hasn't sent us out on the water without any guidance. As we've seen through Peter, he's given us some practical fishing tips. Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, and Bill Crowder around the table exploring the life-changing wisdom of the Bible here on Discover the Word. Now, Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, our mission is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. But this ministry simply wouldn't be possible without the support of friends like you. And so we invite you to partner with us and help us make an eternal impact in the lives of those who listen to Discover the Word, those who read our devotionals, watch our videos, access all the resources we provide. You can donate online at discovertheword.org. Click the Donate tab. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.